Hey everybody, so my name is Miles. It's good to be here and it's good to see you. You guys are beautiful. Um, what, Duncan, what did we have for, for, for meal tonight? It tasted like a tamale without the meat. Well, tamales, I think they use corn. Yeah, so it's cornmeal. They use cornmeal for that. The same thing with tamales. And then that's sukuma wiki, which is basically collard twins. Ooh. And then chicken. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, you can call it cuckoo, but. <laughs> so we had cuckoo and a bunch of other stuff. That was that was great, guys. So Duncan and, and Andrew and their Bible study. They were slaving away at the kitchen, and then they led us in praise. And so thank you guys for, for that. Uh, we've got a couple of announcements, and then we'll just dig into to the teaching this evening. Uh, the, the first and the biggest announcement is that we've got the, the new student welcome party. And so this is, yes, that's worthy of a clap. <clears throat> so the new student welcome party, it's going to be awesome. It always is awesome. Um, and it's going to be on September 18th. And so this is something that you want to be at. You can go to foykc.com and, and you can RSVP and register now. Uh, but this is something that we're making a big push that we want to invite uh, all the students that are coming from all different parts of the world to, to study here in Kansas City uh, just to, to, to become their friend, right? We, we know that moving halfway across the world can be a really, really difficult thing. Uh, and to, to make friends in the process is just a really, really awesome thing that we get to do. And so this is a great way for us to welcome internationals to Kansas City. Uh, to, to befriend them, uh, and then to, to help in any way that we can. And then the next announcement is uh, Soccer Saturday. Yes. So we're back at it. So raise your hand if you play soccer. See, this is why we have Soccer Saturday, because all y'all need to play soccer, right? <laughs> so, so soccer, it's, it's an international love language. Amen? Hallelujah. Yes. Okay. And so some of y'all are like, man, I play cricket. Well, it's cool. We, we can learn cricket. But man, y'all got to learn how to play soccer where you kick the ball with your foot. <laughs> Nothing like it, right? <clears throat> and so uh, September 25th at Roanoke Park, some of us were there this past uh, Sunday. And it was a blast playing badminton and hanging out. And really what got real was the spike ball. Have y'all played spike ball? Boy. Yes. <laughs> I was taking numbers, y'all. I was, I was winning. It felt very, very good. There are a few things that, that like I can dominate in, and I felt like I had like a, a, it was a turkey. I won three games in a row, and then I bowed out because, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you want to be with us on September 25th. It's going to be a great time. It's at 2 p.m. Uh, we're going to be playing soccer. If you have questions about that, again, let us know. Uh, we want you to be there. If a ride is your hindrance, again, let us know. We want you to be there. And we want to make that work. And so if you guys have questions about any of those uh, announcements, uh, then grab me, uh, grab someone that knows, like looks like they know what they're doing, and, and we'll get you all filled in. Um, but today, uh, can you guys hear me OK? Cool. Well, I'm very, very excited, right? So today, we get to, to start a new study. And I've been like pining over this for, for some time now. I've just been really, really excited. This is where I've been studying. Uh, and really, this is a, a season of transition for me, right? So I am the, the director of FOYKC. Uh, Andrew Wong was the previous director. Uh, and so I'm stepping into a leadership role. That is terrifying. Like getting up here right now, uh, I was talking to um, 
who was I talking to? Andy. Andy was like, yo, do you get like nervous, like leading people or talking? And who, who else? I was talking to um, uh, oh, Larry as well. He's like, man, do you get nervous teaching and preaching? And the answer is yes. Like it's terrifying, like being up here in front of you guys. And yet uh, I, I want to grow as a leader. And I see you all and I see a lot of growing leaders here. I want to be intentional and developing leaders. And so I've been uh, studying the Bible. I've been looking at the world. I've been looking at history. I've been looking at, at leaders in my life, guys like Andrew and guys like uh, Brandon Briscoe. And uh, I wanna learn what it means to be a good leader. And, and as I've been studying my Bible, I'm so thankful. Like I get to listen to, to Andrew talk about Nehemiah. And y'all, Nehemiah, he is the bomb.com. He is a good leader, right? And, and then I get to, to visit your Bible studies and you guys are in the book of Mark. And there's like literally no better leader ever of all time other than, than Jesus, right? And you guys are studying the book of Mark and we get to see this incredible example of a servant leader, right? Jesus leading by example, serving others. Uh, and like the world, and, and the world leading looks like, man, I'm large and in charge, so you do whatever I say, right? You serve me. But Jesus completely flips that on his head and he says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm the son of God. And so I'm gonna come and I'm gonna serve you. Whoa. And then I get to this dude, Joseph. And y'all, we're going to start a character study on the life of Joseph. And I'm very, very excited. And Joseph, he's a big baller. He's a shot caller. And he's an incredible example to us of a strong and of a diligent leader. And we get to study his life and we see that he faces some of the most unlikely circumstances. You know, he's put in positions that none of us would ever want to find ourselves. And yet what we see is that Joseph is a man of upstanding integrity, a man of upstanding integrity. And one of the things that we're gonna look at is the fact that Joseph came from a really difficult background, right? He came from a lot of family dysfunction. Uh, and despite this, God was still able to use him, right? And, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I know a lot of us can look at, at our family background and say, man, there's drama there. Man, there is dysfunction there. The man, there was a broken home. We, we, we had problems in our family background. And what's so encouraging about the life of Joseph is that despite the dysfunction, despite the drama, God was able to elevate him above that, right? And despite the drama of his siblings, he was able to lead the way in family reconciliation. It's a really, really beautiful story. And so we're introduced to, to Joseph when he's about 17 or 18 years old. And some of you guys are going to be able to relate to him because he comes in as an international and in a really, really strange land, right? He went from rags. He literally came in as a slave and he ascends to, to leadership and to riches. And he becomes the prime minister of the most dominant world power at the time, right? He becomes a prime minister in Egypt. And we see that he's an incredible steward. Literally everything that's placed in front of him, uh, he's stewarding well. We see that he prioritizes holiness. Uh, and ultimately, the, the thing that really attracts me to the person of Joseph is that he's the best type. He's the best picture of our Lord Jesus Christ in the entire Bible. The, the, the best picture. As you look at Joseph's life and you look at Jesus's lives, there, there are so many different ways in which they run parallel. And you know, I was talking to, to Blake not too long ago, a few weeks back, and I've been studying the, the life of Joseph, and I'm just geeking out and excited. And, and if there's a bigger geek in here than me, it might be Blake Sidebottom. 
he's like a walking encyclopedia, right? The, the dude, he's a student of the word of God. And so it just oozes out of him in like the best way possible. And so we're, we're just talking about Jesus and Joseph and, and how they, they, they're, you know, this incredible parallels. And next thing you know, I get a PDF because Blake's been studying the, the same thing. And it's 33 ways in which Jesus and Joseph are like this beautiful picture. My mind's blown and I'm studying it. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And then what was really cool, Blake, is that you missed some stuff. Like th there's more, <laughs> right? It was 33 ways and it still wasn't exhaustive, right? And so Joseph is this incredible picture. He's the best picture of Jesus in our entire Bible. And so we're going to look at the life of Joseph and see what it looks like to, to live a life like Christ, right? And so uh, as we study, you can find the book of Genesis. We're going to be camping out in the book of Genesis. And I'm excited about this because the book of Genesis is the most important book in your entire Bible. And you're like, what? It's not even in the New Testament. What are you talking about, Miles? Like John's the most important. is Genesis, it's the most important book in your entire Bible. And you can fight me about this later. But y'all, every major doctrine finds its origins in the book of Genesis, right? Every big philosophical question, we, we find its origins and, and the, the answer in the book of Genesis. Where did we come from, right? Uh, where are we going? What's our destiny? What, what's our purpose? What is morality? All these big questions get dealt with in the book of Genesis. Uh, the, the introduction of sin, uh, the, the, the coming Messiah, all these things are talked about in the book of Genesis. And what gets me so excited about this is that this is, you know, the, the most important book in the Bible. And 25% of this book revolves around the life of Joseph. Some of you are like, oh, that's cool, whatever, you know, it's just a guy. Yeah, he's just a guy. But like one chapter in the Bible is dedicated to the creation of the world. And 13 chapters are dedicated to the life of Joseph. You know, five verses, and he created the stars also, are dedicated to, like, just a throwaway five words to, to sum up the creation of the cosmos. And yet we see so much of this book focused and revolved around the life of Joseph. And so I think that there are some key insights here that we need to learn. Uh, and if Joseph is the greatest type of Christ, uh, then we should learn from his example uh, and seek Christ's conformity as we consider his life. And so I am going to pray just so that, man, me, I just, I need that. I'm, I'm nervous. Uh, I'm a man of stumbling lips. and I'm so excited, and I want to communicate this well, and, and I can't, right? Uh, I'm dependent on the Lord. And so, God, uh, as we meet together, uh, I'm excited to dig into your book and into your word. And I just pray that what I communicate would be clear, uh, that it wouldn't be my own words, it'd be your words, Lord, uh, and that we'd come today uh, hoping to take something away from this, uh, hoping to, to, to learn to be more like you um, and that we could leave a little different. And so Lord, I just pray that this is glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. Uh, and so start turning there with me. If you don't know where Genesis chapter 37 is, then just like, like tap the shoulder of your friend and we'll find it together. So we can start turning there. And just to cheat, Genesis is the first book in your Bible. So take that or leave it. I'm real educated. 
Okay, if you've got it, I'm going to start reading it out loud. So it says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and of the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And so we're going to start today by just establishing a bit of context, right? So, so context, it's the most important rule of Bible study. And it's one of the most important rules of life. Like, I, I hate it when people take me out of context, right? And, and God doesn't like being taken out of context either. And so often we find that his word is manipulated and twisted and torn out of context. And so we're just going to set this up a little bit. In verse 2, it says uh, that these are the generations of Jacob. And so as I was studying this out, you know, I, I wanted to figure out who is this dude Jacob, right? This is about him and the next 13 chapters outline the lives of Jacob's offspring. And we're going to see a particular focus in the life of Joseph. And so who is Jacob? What, what's so important about his generations, about his offspring? And, and as we study it out, we learn that Jacob is the son of Isaac. And Jacob has a twin brother named Esau. And what's so important about this is Isaac is the son of Abraham, and God made some really, really special promises to Abraham. And you see those special promises continue down through the family line all the way down to Jacob and ultimately to, to Jacob's children. And what we learn about Jacob is that even though he's a really, really important man in the Bible, and even though he, he, he's this mighty man of God in so many regards, uh, he has a number of faults, right? Jacob is a deceiver, and Jacob is a supplanter, and, and Jacob is constantly trying to, to work over on his brother. He's constantly trying to work over on his father because he desperately wants to steal the blessing that belongs to his older brother. And so these tactics lead to him fleeing for his life. He's so terrified that his brother's going to kill him that he takes off and runs, and he goes into his mother's land, and he enters into a very unhealthy relationship with his uncle, with Uncle Laban, right? And so this leads to, to Jacob marrying two of his cousins, and it gets weirder, and then two of their maidservants, right? It sounds like trouble. And then he goes on to have 12 sons and one daughter, 13 in total, by four, four not 14, by four different women, right? This is it's a big family. How many of you grew up in a big family? Some of you all thought you grew up in a big family, and then you heard this, right? I, I, I grew up, I, how many siblings do you have? She was just here. Three, four, I, how many, how many do you have? Twelve. So I legit grew up in a big family. But they're still your siblings, yeah? So my mom is one of 12 kids. And so whenever I read this, I can't help but think of my mom, right? I can't think, help but think of my own family. And, and one of the things that anyone that grew up in a really big family is going to be familiar with is conflict, right? <laughs> It's division, siblings taking sides against one another. Sometimes it feels like it's just a civil war, even in the, like, even in the best of families, when it's that big. And when we consider Joseph, Joseph's life, 
uh, we see him growing up. And I think that a lot of us, you know, as we read uh, the story of Joseph and we see that he's the, the favorite of his father, we can assume some things about him. We could assume that his life was all rainbows and butterflies, that his life was really, really easy and he had a really easy childhood growing up. But as we actually consider his life and consider the background, it's anything but that. Right? He would have witnessed uh, just the unhealthy relationship between his grandfather, Uncle Laban, and his dad. Right? They, they would have been moving around all the time. Uh, he, he would have known the, the unhealthy relationship between his father and, and his uncle, Uncle Esau. Right? And, and, and these are the, the leaders in his life. This is the man he's looking up to as his dad. Right? Uh, as a child, as a young man, his mother would have passed away in child labor giving birth to his younger brother. And so a lot of his childhood, he would have grown up without his mom. He was one of 13, and he had to, to, to deal with the sibling dynamics and dealing with three stepmoms and, and all the tension and craziness that would have come from that. Uh, one of Joseph's stepsisters, she got raped when, when, when he would have been younger. Uh, some of his brothers sought vengeance and literally killed everybody in that town, in the town of Shechem. Like, this is crazy stuff that he's being exposed to as a, a young man, right? Um, one of his uh, stepbrothers sleeps with one of his stepmoms. Like, some of y'all thought that you had crazy drama in your family. And, and then we, we look at this, and it's like, man, this dude had it rough, right? And then he becomes the favorite of his father. And you think, man, that's great. You know, he, he's dad's number one kid. But instead of that being a good thing for him, it put a target on his back. Right? He was one of the youngest brothers in the family, and all his older brothers would have despised him. Right? All of his older brothers were, were, would have been constantly trying to get over on him. Uh, they would have hated him. We see the text clearly says that his brothers hated him. Uh, and his brothers, they're continually doing evil all around him. And again, these, these are his influences. These are the men that he looked up to, that he wanted to be like, that he wanted to hang out with. And they're on just completely different trajectories, right? His brothers were continually doing evil. And in his heart, all he wanted to do was what was right. He wanted to serve God. And so he would have lived an incredibly lonely childhood, an incredibly lonely childhood. And when I said that, you know, some of you thought you had it rough, I didn't mean to make light of any situation that anybody came in with. But what I want us to see is that, you know, just looking at Joseph's life, despite the cards that he's been dealt, despite family dysfunction, despite drama in your background, we can see clearly that God desires to deliver you and to make you like Christ in your foreground. And so today, Lord willing, we're going to take uh, talk about a few topics. We're going to talk about dealing with family dysfunction. Uh, we're going to talk about dealing with temptation. And, and we're going to consider how we can look like Christ, how we can be, uh, be made to look like Christ. And so our key point number one is that problems not dealt with in one generation will likely be passed on to the next, right? As we consider uh, the, the background of Joseph and his family and his upbringing, uh, you know, problems not dealt with in one generation, um, you know, it's not uncommon for those to be passed on generationally. And if anybody was in class on Sunday, this is part of what, what Blake taught about, right? He was looking at the life of Uzziah and this mighty king and some faults that, that we saw, we see amplified when it gets to his grandson Ahaz, right? 
Next thing you know, his grandson's sacrificing babies. Like, oh man, that's crazy. Right? We see this compounding sin that, that, that takes place generationally. And even Sam kind of talked about this on Sunday, looking at the life of Cain and looking at his offspring, right? And seeing death and murder, you know, continue through the offspring of Cain. And so this is a pattern that we see and that we observe in scripture very, very clearly. And so we're going to look at a few examples of that. Um, Eli uh, would be one prime example of this. And, and I, I want to start with Eli uh, because, uh, man, I think a lot of us were like, man, I don't have children. Right? I don't have an offspring. I don't have to worry about this, right? I'm not passing anything on because I don't have anything to pass on to anybody else. Uh, but when we look at the life of Eli, we can see uh, that his failures were actually passed on through discipleship. And so while some of us don't have physical children, we all have people that we're influencing, right? We, we all have people that are looking to our example and following us. And, and Eli, he was the high priest, and we see him in 1 Samuel, and we see a failure of Eli to, to raise up and to disciple his own children. And so the, the Bible tells us that his physical children, there was an evil report of them because they were taking and consuming upon their lust. And so at sacrifices, they would, they would take it and they would literally consume it for, for themselves. They take these things that people were offering in temple worship and they'd claim it for themselves. The things that belong to God, they would take for themselves, right? Uh, they, they would take women for themselves, these women that didn't belong to them, and they would take them for themselves. And it was horrible. It was wicked. It was despicable. And yet Eli was the high priest. And this is the testimony of his sons, right? And Eli had a really, really important job. He was responsible for a man named Samuel. And Samuel was this mighty prophet. He was a mighty man of God that came up behind Eli. And Eli was responsible. Samuel wasn't his son, but Eli was responsible for raising him in the Lord, right? And we see the same thing spoken of, of Samuel. Samuel's sons were horrible and wicked, so much so that Israel came before Samuel and said, hey, we've had enough. We want a, God, we want a, a king like all the other nations, right? And so even though it wasn't his physical offspring, we see his influence and discipleship and investing in a younger person in his life led to him actually continuing in the same sins and dealing with the same things. Uh, we see this in, in David, right? As we read uh, 2 Samuel, we see David is constantly adding more wives to, to fulfill his desires, his own desires. And, and we see this sexual lust in David's life. And then we get eyes on Solomon. And this dude took it next level. But when we read of Solomon, it says that he had at least 700 wives. Can you imagine that? 700 wives, more wives than, ye, like, than days in a year. And then it wasn't enough, right? It says that he had at least 300 concubines in 1 Kings chapter 11. And so again, we, we see this sin compounding generation to generation. When we look at the life of Abraham, uh, Abraham failed to protect his wife, right? Instead of laying down his life for his bride, loving her, we see that at the first sign of trouble, Whenever a bigger, more intimidating, more powerful man would come around, he would just hand her over and say, here you go. Horrible. And Isaac, his son, grew up seeing this of his father. And so he did the same. He did the same with his own wife. Whenever a bigger, more intimidating, scary man came around, he'd say, here you go. Right? Instead of looking at Christ's example, who laid down his life for his bride. Right? 
Uh, we, we can go from, from Abraham to Isaac. Isaac played favorites. It was very, very clear that, that, that Esau was Isaac's favorite son, right? And so we, we fast forward and it's, man, Jacob's playing favorites. We, we see it right here that Joseph is Jacob's favorite son. And so we go from Isaac to Jacob and we look at Jacob's life and we see sibling rivalry and dysfunction all over the place, right? Him and Esau were, were, were butting heads. And we see that, that Jacob was willing to deceive to gain blessing and favor of his father. And guess what, y'all? We're going to see very shortly that Joseph's brothers are willing to do the exact same thing, right? To deceive just to gain favor and the blessing of their father. And it doesn't work out. And so we see that this sin, these problems, when they're not confronted in one generation, that they, they tend to make their way down to the next. And so what do we do? Well, we have to acknowledge the shortcomings of our fathers and of our mothers so we can trust God specifically for victory in these areas. Uh, I think about going to, to a doctor. Whenever you go to, to the doctor for a regular checkup or a visit, uh, one of the things that they ask you to do is fill out like a sheet like this long, right? A, a whole brochure, pamphlet. And one of the things that they're asking is they want to know about your family medical background, right? They say, tell us about your family. And they don't want to know your siblings' names or who your granddaddy was. They just want to know if heart disease was in your family, <laughs> right? They want to know what kind of cancer was in your family. That uh, They want to know if, you know, you would be prone to diabetes. Like my family, there's a lot of people that are diabetic in my family. And so there are things that I should be aware of and there are precautions that I could be taking now to prevent that and to curb that from, from happening to me later, right? In terms of my diet, Lisa's looking at me because she's been trying to get me to work out for like, we've been married for five, four years now. I don't work out. I should do that, right? Diabetes is in my family. I should do that. This is something that I should do, right? Uh, but just like these medical issues, right, that, that, that we're aware of in our family history, we ought to be cognizant and aware uh, of past familial failures, uh, of sin cycles of our fathers, we, we ought to know these areas because we're probably susceptible to fall prey to the same things. And, and if we don't learn from history, th then we'll be doomed to repeat it, right? But, but we also have to be aware of our own shortcomings. And one of the things that, that we have to do as a responsible generation is to share and to warn those that we father both physically and spiritually, that they won't fall into the same traps. That's our responsibility as fathers, as mothers, as disciples, is to look at our background, to look at the things that happened to us, uh, at our shortcomings, and to coach and to share and to teach these to, to, to future generations that they wouldn't fall prey to the same traps. I'll, I'll never forget as a young man, my father, uh, he, he took me out and we had lunch one day, and this wasn't super normal characteristic. And the goal of this luncheon was for him to be vulnerable with me. And what he did is he wanted to share with me some areas that he messed up in my childhood. And so one of the areas that he really focused on was this area of financial stewardship, right? And he used it as an opportunity to teach me. And he showed me very transparently areas that he went wrong, uh, how that impacted our family. And then he went on to explain things that he could have done differently. Uh, proactive actions that he could have taken. 
And it's a conversation that I will never forget. And Lord willing, because of that, I won't make the same mistakes, right? It's so important as disciples, we must be willing to be vulnerable. And there's nothing about that that's comfortable. There's nothing about that that's comfortable. But we have to share our past failures to future generations that they wouldn't repeat the same things. Uh, as disciples, we must be teachable and ready to receive these things, though, right? If we're going to be following someone as they follow Christ, if we're going to allow other people that we look up to to influence us, we have to have ears to receive those things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, Paul shares a testimony of their fathers. Uh, and these are the fathers of the nation of Israel uh, that, that came out of Egypt. And Paul recounts stories of great victories and of their failures and states that these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. He says, hey, look at this. Look at our history. Look at our fathers. Look what they did. This is an example to us, right? That we could learn from their mistakes. Key point number two, we must let past dysfunction develop us rather than define and derail us. Amen. Yeah, that's, that's good, right? Uh, I, I don't want to, to sound insensitive, um, but instead of allowing past woes to define and derail us, uh, we must allow these hardships to develop us. Uh, we have to acknowledge that the Lord can use horrible circumstances that were out of our control. He can use these things that, that just happened to us, that, that we didn't have a say in to develop us. He can take these travesties in, in Job's life and use it in an incredible way to give him a deeper understanding of who the God of creation is, right? He, he, he can take, um, you know, a man's blindness and use it to show forth the glory of God. He, he can take persecution and use it to stir up revival. He can take being beaten, sold into slavery, falsely accused, and jailed to develop Joseph into the leader that God needed him to be. So much so that Joseph can reflect on, on all these things that happened to him, these tragedies in his backgrounds, where his brothers were, were mistreating him and not treating him rightly. And he's able to say, by, by Genesis chapter 50, the, the, the last chapter in the book of Genesis, he's able to look back on all these things, these circumstances, these evil things that happened to him, and says to his brothers, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God met it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. That's perspective, all right? I think about uh, this past year, um, uh, Julie Powers, uh, she is uh, the, the mother, some of you know Havla, some of you know um, Lydia, uh, but, but she passed away th this year. And it was devastating, right? Uh, Lydia lives with us in our household. And, and man, I was just broken and devastated for the Powers family. Uh, and it was a difficult situation. And, and there was seemingly nothing good about it. Uh, and, and at the, the funeral, um, uh, Clementine, uh, Brandon, Pastor Brandon Briscoe's uh, daughter, uh, she confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? There's this horrible situation. How could anything good happen out of this? And yet, through the testimony of her death, life was brought forth, right? That's perspective. And so we can cling to our past circumstances. We can hold on to them in a way that allows us to perpetually be a victim. Or we can see that the victory and the freedom that's offered through Christ. 
and we can acknowledge that, that we're new creatures in him, that, that, that God can use all things for good to, to those who love him, even the craziest circumstances, right? But we, ha- we can't stop there. In, in Romans, it tells us that, that all these things that, that happen, that, that God can use for good, happen that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the goal. All these things are happening where, where, where they're horrible situations in our fort, like right in front of us. And God's like, hey, I can use that. I can work with that. And the outcome of it, if you trust me, is you're going to be a little bit more like Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 11, Paul describes all these things that used to define us. He describes our, the sins of our past. He describes our old identities. And he makes a really profound statement. He says, and such were some of you. Right? He, all these things that used to define us, all these past sins, he says, such were some of you. And what's so incredible about that is that's past tense, right? That's who you used to be. But then he goes on to say that those of you who are known of Christ and know Christ, now you're washed. Now you're sanctified and now you're justified. And now our identity is fixed in the person of Jesus. Right? We're no longer bound to these past failures, to, to past family drama. Right? Now our identity is in Christ. We're, we're adopted. Now we get to call him Father. And we get to cry unto him, Abba. Now we identify as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And with this perspective, instead of letting the, our past pains and woes define and derail us, we have to trust God's providence that he can use all things for good. And that he can use these circumstances to develop us for whatever he has for us next. Key point number three is that we can't control what happened in our past. We can't control what happened in our past, but we can control our faith response moving forward. All right, we got to keep moving. So with these last two points, uh, I can't help but think of uh, other people in the Bible like Daniel, right? Daniel uh, is someone that we're going to continue to draw parallels against. Daniel and Joseph actually, I mean, when two dudes look like Jesus, they, they kind of look alike as well, I guess, right? Um, but uh, we're going to see a lot of parallels between the life of Daniel and the life of Joseph. Uh, and these individuals ha- had no control over the past. Uh, they had no control over the, their present situations that they found themselves in. But despite their unfortunate situations, God always allowed them the opportunity to do what was right and to trust him with the results, right? There's always an option to do what was right, and then they just had to trust God with the results. That's the tough part, the faith component of it, right? And I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but maybe you have family dysfunction and drama in your past. Maybe you have family dysfunction and drama presently. And while we can't undo what's been done, we do have the opportunity to make proper faith responses moving forward and to trust God to use these hardships to develop us rather than to defeat us. And there's so much more that I'd really like to dig in here. Uh, but for time's sake, we're going to keep moving on and we're going to get our eyes back on the life of Joseph. And Genesis 37 verses 1 through 4 again, it says that Joseph dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. It says, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhop and with the sons of Zilpah and his uh, his father's wives. 
and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. And so here we're going to start shifting gears and go from family dysfunction in terms of the background and the context for Joseph's life. And we're going to look at how he deals with temptation. And so in verse uh, 2, we learn some interesting details about the life of Joseph. We learn his age, right? This dude is 17 years old, right? He's young. He's got an exciting outlook on life. He's just like so many of you in here, right? He's 17 years old. And so, uh, like many of you, uh, although he would be the, the young, one of the youngest of his siblings growing up, uh, he's entering into manhood, right? He's entering into a stage of life uh, where there's more freedom, where there's more opportunities, there's more responsibilities being given to him, and where the oversight of his father would be waning, right? So that he could spread his wings and fly like an eagle. Um, but we also learned that he is feeding the flock, uh, and this would be his occupation, right? This is what his father did. We could read in this book, book of Genesis and see that, that Jacob was a shepherd. Uh, and we uh, ha have already talked about, you know, uh, Jacob a little bit. Uh, but when, whenever we dig into it, we're going to see that, that Joseph uh, is the favorite uh, of his father, right? And so one of the things that he'd be doing in this season is getting familiar with the family business, right? Uh, this is the, the family business that eventually would be his. We can see that that Jacob clearly identified Joseph as the favorite son, and with that, he'd be receiving uh, a special blessing. Uh, he'd be receiving, ultimately, the family business, and it'd be crucial for Joseph to understand every angle of the business. Uh, and so he wouldn't be working this blue-collar portion of the job, tending to the sheep for long. We can see, literally within a few verses, that he uh, gets to take off the blue-collar and put on a special coat of many colors, and then he's out of the field, right? Um, but, you know, I, I work for a family business. Uh, my, my current boss is the fourth generation family member uh, of a business that's been around town since 1910. Wow, right? This dude's not grandpa, but great grandpa started a business in 1910. And it's still thriving. Like business is booming, y'all. And that doesn't happen by accident, right? A, a family business doesn't last four generations. Uh, and, and continue to, to, to grow exponentially by accident. It takes intentional investment. Uh, and even though my, my boss, he was born into the business, uh, even though his family's name is on the door, uh, my boss, he didn't start as like, you know, running the show. He started as a sales guy, right? He came in and, and he worked as a sales guy and he learned the ropes and he learned the, the business from that angle. And he had success in that. And then he, he jumped ship and went over to the financial department of the business and he learned that side and he went to inventory. He was making his rounds so he could learn every angle of the family business so that whenever the, the business was entrusted to him, he would know what's going on, he would know what to do, he would understand it so he could lead it going forward. And so Jacob would have sent Joseph out to do the hard work of shepherding with his older brothers who were more experienced in the business. Right, so, so that they could teach Joseph the ropes, so he could learn from his older brothers how to, to tend to the flock. And so Joseph, he would have left home, and, and you can imagine, like this is like college for him, right? He, he, he's leaving home for the first time. He, he's away from his father's care. And, and as we read about just the life of the shepherding, we'd see later on that, that Jacob would send Joseph to, to, to his brothers, right? And they're all the way in a whole nother city, right? And he's going over to Shechem. He's like, where are they at? And they're like, oh, they're in this city. And so th this work of shepherding, you'd be away from home for, for days and potentially weeks on end 
taking the, the sheep from land to land. And so again, this is his first time out of the house. Dad's not around. Uh, this would be for, for a lot of us like going off to college for the first time, right? We're, we're, we're living away from home. We're in the big city, you know. There's so many things at our disposal. And one of the things that comes with that is now you're no longer under the shelter and protection of your parents. And so I'm sure for, for Joseph, he'd be being exposed to, to things that his father intentionally kept him sheltered from as a young man. And a lot of us can give testimony of this. I know for me, whenever I moved out of my parents' house, uh, they sheltered me very, very well. And I went to college and I saw drugs for the first time. I saw partying and drunkenness and all sorts of things that I knew I didn't need in my life. And so you can imagine Joseph going off with his brothers. He's trying to learn the tricks of the trade and they get a little far away from home. And instead of just hanging out in the, the fields with the sheep, you know, they'd be migrating from city to city. And apparently based on the text, they would have taken this freedom to do unspeakable things. And surely there would have been temptation for Joseph to join them and to partake in these things with them. Surely Joseph would have desired to partake in these things with them, right? I mean, these are his big brothers. I don't know if any of you have older siblings, but man, those are people that you look up to. Those are people that you want to be like. Those are the, the, the people who you're seeking their approval from for your whole life. And, and yet the, the, the testimony that begins here is what we see develop over the rest of Joseph's life. Uh, and it encapsulates his character, and it's what defines him. Uh, you know, the testimony that we see of Joseph is Romans 12, 2. Instead of being conformed to this world, we see that Joseph is constantly being transformed into the most beautiful picture of Jesus. And so our key point, number four, is that when pursuing our father's work, temptation will come. His father's work was shepherding. And as he was pursuing that, as he was growing and trying to be proficient in that, we see temptation arise all around him. <clears throat> his brothers doing unspeakable things where he has to give an evil report to his father. The same evil report that we see is reported of the sons of Eli, right? Ugh. And so we have to decide now to choose holiness and to acknowledge that there is always a way of escape. There is always a way of escape. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. And so for some of us, you know, we're, we're living on our own for the first time. We're in a new land for the first time. We're outside of mom and dad's umbrella for the first time. And in front of us are decisions that we get to make, right? We're in a season of our life where the whole world is being offered to us. It's all on display. It's all tangible. It's being offered to us. And the question on the floor is, will you give in to temptation? Are you going to give in to what the world has to offer you? Or will you hold fast to what's good? Joseph is a man of integrity. And it would have been cooler for him if he would have partook with his brothers, right? And his father probably would have never known, right? They're all the way out in Shechem, right? His father would have, he would have never known, right? And yet we see that when no one is looking, Joseph chooses to do what's right. When no one is looking, Joseph chooses to do what's right. That's integrity. 
He was clearly set apart from his brethren with a heart fixed and determined to glorify the Lord. And unfortunately, his brothers, just like Eli, uh, you know, the, the high priest's sons, uh, have an evil report spoken of them. And clearly, they had their heart fixed on the world to satisfy their lust. So as we end, uh, we're going to look at um, uh, just this idea of being conformed to Christ's image. And the goal is that, that every time we get together and look at this passage uh, of, of Joseph, again, Blake sent me 33 ways in which Joseph is like Jesus. And so I think we've got a ton to explore here. And so the, the goal is that whenever we end, we can look at a way uh, that, that we can, can be conformed to Christ's image because Joseph is like Christ. And so I figure, uh, you know, uh, Romans 8, 28, verses 29, you know, all these things that, that God's able to use for good, the, the goal of it, the, the chief goal really for, for every believer is that we would grow in our relationship with God and be conformed to the image of Christ. And as we're conformed to his image, we begin to, to act the way that Jesus acts, right? And we begin to, to think the way that, that, that Jesus thought, and we begin to, to, to feel the way that, that, that Jesus felt. And our hearts are full of compassion for other people, and we desire to, to, to love other people, right? And so Joseph is this incredible example of a man that yielded himself to be conformed to Christ's image. And, and again, every week, I hope to just dive into the passage, to, to see Christ in the passage, and then to, to challenge ourselves uh, that, that we could look at that example and live it out as well. And so uh, one of the ways that, that we see Christ in this passage is the fact that Joseph was a shepherd. Right? Joseph is a shepherd. And, and as we study our Bible, some of you are in the book of Mark, and so you see this, or in the book of Matthew, you would see this. Uh, but it, it tells us in John chapter 10 that, that Jesus is the good shepherd, right? And what makes him a good shepherd is the fact that he protects his sheep, right? He knows his sheep. He's known of his sheep. Uh, as we look at passages like Psalm 23, we see that he guides his sheep, that he feeds his sheep, that he cares for his sheep. And ultimately, we see that he's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. The shepherd is a leader and a protector. And Joseph, he was literally a shepherd of sheep. But we also see that he grows to be a shepherd of people. Right? He's entrusted with an entire nation. And Jesus was also a shepherd of people. Jesus saw people. He, he fed people. He protected people. He cared for his flock. And we, like Joseph, must learn the ways of a shepherd and develop a shepherd's heart that we could care for the spiritual needs of the flock of God as well. And so, again, we're looking at the life of Joseph because there are so many growing leaders in this group, in this ministry. And my heart is that you would desire to, to be leaders in, in your country, leaders in your community, leaders in your workplace, leaders in your school, leaders in your church, leaders in your home, right? And so we have to grow the, the heart of a shepherd, right? That we'd be willing to invest, even sacrificially, into the flock. Next, we see that Joseph was the beloved of his father. And in Matthew chapter 12, at Jesus' baptism, uh, Matthew chapter 17, at the the transfiguration, we see God, literally God, the Father from heaven, just thundering down and speaking and claiming Jesus as his beloved son in whom he's well pleased, right? In uh, the book of Ephesians and Colossians, uh, Paul goes on to, to kind of bring this idea up again and again that, that Jesus is the beloved. 
Uh, and there's no shortage of passages that we could point to to see the special love and relationship that God and Jesus would have had. Uh, I think about Abraham's love for Isaac. Uh, I think about uh, Brent all the way back there and his love for his son Joseph, right? And to still know that it pales in comparison uh, to, to, to God's love for, for his son Jesus, right? Uh, he, he loves, he comforts, he protects, he provides. Uh, and one of the beautiful things is that uh, we get to be identified as the beloved of the Father as well, right? Uh, we can cry out to him and call him Father and call him Abba, right? Uh, he, he will love us. He will comfort us. He will protect us and provide for us. Uh, we can be precious children in his sight, right? He, he loves the children. And again, I know we started by exploring family difficulty and the, the, the troubles of family backgrounds and dynamics. So I'd be crazy not to invite you uh, into God's family, right? Uh, if this is something that you have a question about that, that you never thought about or explored, uh, the Bible tells us that God is a good father and that he loves his children. And, and what he desires is to adopt all of us as his children, <laughs> right? And so if you do have a question about that, uh, I'd love to just invite you to have a conversation with me or another leader in this ministry. Uh, but I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we're going to break up into our small groups, okay? Lord, we thank you so much uh, just for the life, for the testimony of Joseph. Uh, he is uh, just, uh, man, an upstanding man, a man of great integrity, uh, and a man that is like Jesus. And so, Lord, we, we admit that there's so much to learn and yet we see the, the, the dysfunction and the craziness in his family and, and still the, the hope uh, that you desire to, to use us, uh, even if we come from difficult backgrounds and, and crazy situations in a big way in the lives of other people. And so, Lord, we want to trust you for that. Uh, and, and Lord, some of us, we, we come from different cool backgrounds and have difficult father relationships. And yet you, you, you say that you want to adopt us into your family and that you're the perfect father. And so, Lord, uh, man, I just trust you for that, 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 that people could be bold uh, and, and to seek out who you are as a father. Uh, and they could come to you uh, as a little child. And so, Lord, we, we thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.